Pakistan has always been a national security state. And I think that is the ultimate issue with Pakistan. And where you have a state which is made on the basis of national security as opposed to welfare, that, that you, you, know, you continue to have a lot of inequalities. The scenario in Pakistan regarding human rights violations remains bleak. Human Rights Watch 2021 informs that in 2020, the Pakistani government harassed and at times prosecuted human rights defenders, lawyers and journalists for criticizing government officials and policies. Authorities used draconian sedition and counter-terrorism laws to stifle dissent and strictly regulated civil society groups there remains limited freedom of expression. There are attacks on civil society groups. A climate of fear continues to impede media coverage for abuses by both government security forces and militant groups. Journalists who face threats and attacks have increasingly resorted to self-censorship. Media outlets have come under pressure from authorities not to criticize government institutions or the judiciary. In several cases in 2020, Government regulatory agencies blocked cable operators and television channels that had aired critical programs. They remain mired by technology shutdowns. International conferences on human rights, working towards safeguarding human rights, which were organized by my guests at this of this episode, were mired by technology shutdowns. Before I introduce the two guest speakers, I would like to introduce Asma Jangi, their mother, who was the winner of two. 18 United Nations Human Rights Prize. Many in the global human rights movement remembered Asma as simply a giant. Asma Jangir, who is unfortunately no longer with us, was an internationally acclaimed rights and constitutional lawyer. Her legacy includes upholding constitutional freedoms, facilitating legal aid to the needy, the poor and the marginalized in Pakistan promoting peace in South Asia by initiating regional programs and advocating democratic values. Asma was renowned internationally in championing the cause for human rights, often in very challenging times in Pakistan. She bravely fought for the most disadvantaged people in Pakistan, often at a great personal risk. She championed the cause of women, children, bonded laborers, religious minorities, journalists, the disappeared, and so many others. Her two daughters worked relentlessly to carry on her legacy. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Ms. Muniza Jahangir, who is a broadcast journalist and a documentary filmmaker, currently anchoring a flagship current affairs show on one of Pakistan's leading media news network, Arj TV, called Spotlight with Muniza Jahangir. Jangir is a co-founder and an editor-in-chief of VoicePK.net, a digital media platform focusing on human rights issues. Then we have Ms. Sulema Jangir. Sulema is a dual-qualified lawyer. She's a solicitor of the senior courts of England and Wales and an advocate of the high courts in Pakistan. She also graduated from Cambridge University in 2003. She has, in the last four years now, been a guest lecturer for my course in Gender and Development for the MPhil uh, Development Studies and her lectures were one of the most, most popular with my students who thought that her passion and, and, and her enthusiasm for, for human rights, safeguarding human rights was, was amazing, addictive actually. She was also a part, she's also a partner at Dawson Conwell. She's a board member of the Asma Jangir Legal Aid Cell, which is the oldest one and one of the largest charities providing free legal aid to the vulnerable people in Pakistan. Sulema practices in many cases with human rights elements, including child abduction, domestic and honor-based abuse, forced marriages, female genital mutilation, bonded labor, and constitutional cases. She was part of the committee behind widening the definition of domestic abuse. She was also assisted in advising parliamentary bodies in Pakistan in drafting laws for the protection of women. And from the University of Cambridge, Center of Governance and Human Rights, I am your post podcast host, Mariam Tanveer, and this is Declarations. Let's start. 
So welcome both of you. It's an honor to have you two young, bright women with us. Uh, I am from the University of Cambridge, Center of Governance Human Rights, Mariam Tanvir, your podcast host, and this is Declarations. Welcome both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mariam, for the very flattering introduction. Yeah, <laughs> it's well deserved. Okay, so Manizia Salam, shall we give the listeners a brief, brief snapshot of the current social and political milieu regarding freedom of expression and the scenario regarding human rights or human rights violations in Pakistan? Yes, I mean, um, I think Manizia can talk a little bit more about uh, the freedom of expression on the ground, being a journalist there and uh, being directly impacted by it. Uh, but if you look at, uh, just to give a broad perspective, in 2020, Pakistan ranked 145 out of 180 countries um, in terms of freedom of expression. Uh, if you look at the Reporters Without Borders um, report. So um, it has been slipping. And uh, generally, you know, despite the fact that the constitution of Pakistan you know, guarantees freedom of expression with certain exceptions, um, it, it on the ground we we see that um, it it's a it's not equally available to everyone depending on who you are and secondly there's been a lot of state repression on journalists political activists media uh, sort of media houses so where entire TV channels have been shut down and um, there you know there's a there's an atmosphere of fear um, in the community especially in the journalist community there. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, let me. Yes, well, let me first say to you that Article 19, which actually guarantees under the Constitution of Pakistan freedom of speech, it's conditional on certain things in Pakistan. Unlike in Bangladesh, unlike in India, um, uh, what it says really is that every citizen shall have the right to freedom of speech and expression, and there shall be freedom of the press but they shall be suitable to any reasonable restrictions imposed by the law in the interest of the glory of Islam, the security or defense of Pakistan, or you cannot even criticize any friendly relations with foreign states and um, in relation to contempt of court. So it's very, it's very wide. The definition is so wide that you can actually get hold of anybody and slap them with whatever charges of sedition. And you can have freedom of speech, but you cannot talk about the army, which has been at the center stage. Really, it's been the elephant in the room in Pakistani politics, if anybody knows anything about Pakistani politics. Either the military has directly ruled Pakistan or indirectly ruled Pakistan. So to ban, and especially when major political parties during elections are talking about the military intervention in elections, to ban media channels from talking about it. That means that every sentence out of everybody who is a major political player in Pakistan has to be censored. So if you look at the current scenario of Pakistan, we cannot talk about the biggest player in politics, and that is the military. So I think that is one um, uh, thing that we must recognize. And then whatever laws that have come out to, um, uh, 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 to monitor the media or to regulate the media, have come out of Article 19. So even the new law under which many journalists are charged with sedition is Pakistan Electronic Crimes Act. It 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 is it stems from Article 19. So um, just recently, uh, I'll give you an example. I mean, the prime example really is one of the most popular journalists of Pakistan, Hamid Mir. And Hamid Mir was uh, basically slapped with sedition at the moment. He is not on air. He has been banned. There is no court order against him. There is no PEMRA, which is the Pakistan Electronic uh, Media Regulatory Authority, order against him, no notice against him. It's an unofficial ban. His channel has been forced to let him go. And what is his crime? That there was a young man, a journalist called Asad Poon, who alleged that uh, a few people of the intelligence agencies entered his home and they beat him up. After that, there was a protest arranged by the Pakistan Federal Union of Journalists, of which I am and Hamid Mir is a big part of. We all went there, we made speeches. And based on that speech, which was considered offensive to the military, he was banned from here. 
So he has been shot in the past in 2014. The reports that he was doing was on the crisis in Balochistan, on missing persons in Pakistan, which is enforced disappearances in Pakistan. And uh, he was even charged with blasphemy, you know, um, uh, for speaking out on certain things. Now, he was charged with blasphemy for a talk show that happened that somebody else did on the same TV channel. So it's a real case of victimization. And since May 2021, he has been off air. Uh, the cases against him, uh, you know, the attack against him, the murder attempt against him, has led nowhere. Um, at the moment, the case is in the Supreme Court and it never comes up for hearing. Similarly, another journalist, Apsar Alam, was also shot. Before he was shot, there were other, uh, you know, um, uh, there were sedition charges uh, leveled against him. So all the journalists in Pakistan say that whenever we are going to be attacked, before that, we, you know, there are all these sedition charges that are leveled against. And if you look at who, who, who levels the sedition charges, who are playing, these are either directly linked to the PTI, they are council, uh, local councillors, or there are what we call the perpetual petitioners. These are people who are really very close to the military, the military establishment. And they basically put in these petitions of sedition against various journalists. When Apsar Alam was shot after that, um, in broad daylight, in Islamabad, in a park, in a red zone, uh, there was no CCTV camera available, and uh, there was absolutely uh, no investigation. Nothing came out of that investigation. In fact, um, very high-profile, very, uh, uh, I would say, perhaps one of the most powerful policymakers within the military alleged that he had been shot by his girlfriend's brother. So, I mean. That was also told to the media, uh, you know, informally. Um, similarly, with uh, Matiullah Jan, another journalist, who was in broad daylight picked uh, from in front of uh, a school, right? And when he was picked up, it, the, the people who came to pick him up in plain clothes were, came in a police van. So there was a police van, obviously a police van. Now, Islamabad is a safe city camera, which means that there are cameras all over Islamabad. And if in the middle of the night you are speeding, they give you a, a ticket, an Ichilan or some sort, right? In this case, um, the only CCTV footage that we were able to secure was when journalists themselves went to the private school and they got hold of the CCTV footage of the school. And that's when they put it on air and said, Matiullah Jan has been kidnapped in broad daylight. And we, we demand his release. But not a single second of footage was available from all the thousands of CCTV cameras across Islamabad. So the question was asked by journalists to the Interior Secretary at the Human Rights Committee of the National Assembly of where is that footage? How come you cannot give us a single second of the footage? And they said, we will look into, we will look into it. The sad thing is, that just two years ago, the Sindh police chief was picked up from his own home to carry out what they say was an operation against uh, PMLN uh, Mariam Nawaz. And he was picked up by the Rangers, which directly reports to the military. So when political uh, leaders to us that the police is going to protect you, we said, well, the police themselves are picked up by... <laughs> by, uh, you know, paramilitary troops in the middle of the night from their own home, if they are not safe, how will they give us safety? So I think the question really is of not how journalists can be protected by the police, but what, how does the state view, the establishment view journalists? Do they view us as terrorists? Do they view us as people who can live and, and, and have freedom of speech? Um, I think that is a real question. Uh, there has to be a policy change. Um, and there has to be um, also a democracy in Pakistan. If you do not have democracy in Pakistan, I do not think journalists can be safe. Absolutely. That's like, it, it sends a chill down your spine when you, are, when you just talk about all of these journalists. So basically, there is freedom of expression on the surface, but there are so many loopholes 
through which all these government institutions go through. And, and Manisa, for any policy change, the policy will be changed by who? It's going to be changed by people who have the power. Sulema talks a lot about this in her gender institutions lecture, but policy change will be allowed, you think? Is it possible? Anyway, that's a long debate. But so basically, what do you think is the role of the media in promoting human rights or subjugating it? And what challenges do you feel that the media faces in upholding these rights? Yeah, I also want to point out that all of the uh, most popular TV anchors, journalists are right now banned, and it's an unofficial ban on television. Um, and Sulema, I think maybe you should also talk about the ban on major political. Uh, yes, I mean. Pakistan, yeah? I think the challenges to the media, I mean, Marisa has already explained that how journalists is an atmosphere of fear. Journalists are, you know, picked up. It's very brazen. It's not something that it, it used to happen before as well. It's been happening in Pakistan, you know, since Pakistan was created. But as of late, with the last administration, I mean, with the current administration, what has happened is that these attacks on journalists have become a lot more brazen. And uh, the other way that that is being allowed to happen is through the role of the judiciary. And that is because the judiciary itself is unable to uh, is unable to sort of uh, be independent and um, and and say, well, this shouldn't be happening. And if you know, uh, and they're being used, manipulated by state agencies. So, for example, as Manisa said, we have freedom of expression and they are subject to certain conditions under under the constitution of pakistan i mean freedom of expression everywhere in the world is qualified it's not usually an absolute right it is qualified for example for purposes of security etc but in pakistan a it is qualified in lots of more ways for example it says glory of islam or public order or uh, relations with friendly nations it's so and it's done in a very wide way the judiciary somehow is able to let state agencies get away with uh, sort of attacks on journalists and politicians and lawyers and rights activists on the basis of these very wide exceptions, which shouldn't be really applied in that sort of way. So the law really is being misused. Um, the other way that what we have seen is that um, the political narrative has become very constrained. So major political parties, have the, their leaders have been banned. Uh, from speaking on electronic media. Uh, and that is what we saw ourselves in our last conference. Um, and um, where, an, where a thrice-elected prime minister was actually blacked off from, um, from addressing a private a private uh, Three times conference. elected prime minister. Uh, yes, yeah, a thrice, yeah. Uh, was banned from speaking at a private event. Um, Similarly, another uh, leader of one of, at that time, the third largest political party, the MQM, Altaf Hussain, he was banned. And that was a case that my mother was actually doing, which was, um, she was saying that he should have the right uh, to freedom of expression. And, you know, even if, whether we like him or don't like him, he is a leader who has been chosen by millions of people. And uh, they should uh, have a right to, uh, you know, he should have, you can't just ban someone outright from every electronic media. But at that time, the court decided that, yes, he can be banned. And so we are facing um, a situation where both the sort of judiciary as well as the state um, agencies, which are, for example, the military and the ruling party, are sort of in, have made a sort of um, a coalition, as to say, yeah. um, in, in, in thwarting freedom of expression uh, in Pakistan. And yes, Sulaima, that's that's really interesting. And the, if, if the journalists are totally in control, basically the media role in, in, in promoting human rights is huge. It's, it's basically understanding the problem and informing people is the first step to moving the needle on, on solving the problem. So with journalists and the media and the total subjugation, that is actually a scary scene for Pakistan. Munizir, do you want to add something before I Yeah, Mariam, I, I would. Yes, I, I would actually. I would like to flesh this out a little bit more. I mean, one of the reasons that Nawashis is actually banned from television is there is a PEMRA order which says, and it is by, uh, a, 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 you know, a lawyer basically wrote to PEMRA and said that Nawashis should be banned. That lawyer is very close to the establishment. And PEMRA then 
uh, issued a notice to all TV channels and basically referred to the Supreme Court ruling, which said that absconders may not speak. But that is very open to interpretation if you actually challenge it in a court of law. But what is very interesting is that Musharraf is also an absconder. But he has, at that time, he has a running TV show. So the only person banned under that law really was Nawaz Sharif. Tairul Qadri mm-hmm. was not banned. Musharraf was not banned. And none of the others were banned. In fact, the government itself, uh, because Isaac Dar, who was the former finance minister under the Nawaz government, gave an interview to BBC, which was considered to be very embarrassing for him. The present government actually got the state-run Pakistan television channel, Pakistan uh, mm-hmm. uh, TV, to run that interview and translate it in Urdu and run that interview when this current law existed against Nawashi that you cannot show him. So I think it 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 really did bring out the dichotomy and, and you know the double faced um, nature of, of this law. That it is not it is not about the law or the principle, it is about the person. So I think that Absolutely. was made very obvious. Uh, uh, when they actually put on Isaac Dar four months before they said you cannot yes. show Nawashri even at a conference. Just one now, thing, guys. I... Sorry, Manisa, just one thing. Most of the interna- audience will obviously be Pakistani, but they'll be international. They won't know who Isaac Dar and Musharraf is. So just tell us. Musharraf yeah. was the... So Nawashri is, as Sulema said, uh, three times Prime yeah. Minister yes. of Pakistan. And, and, and just... Isaac Dar was a finance mm. minister under his government who was also yeah. declared an absconder. So they were both yeah. declared absconders. So if you say under the Pemra order that an absconder should be banned and not should, should not be allowed to speak, then under that law, the only person that was banned was Nawaz Sharif. The government itself yes. ran a TV interview um, done by the BBC on its state-run television with translation in violation of their own Pemra ordinance. Uh, 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 order. Wow. And similarly, uh, Musharraf, uh, the dictator of Pakistan, who, who ruled yes. Pakistan, um, from the army, who was also an who was also an absconder in a murder case, was had used to host a TV show, a weekly TV show on one of the private TV channels, and Pemra had no problems with that. So it's very obvious what is happening here. That it's not, and, and you know, so similarly. Just recently, just uh, two days ago, Mohsin Big, one of the journalists was actually, his house was raided by the Federal Investigation Agency. They didn't have a search warrant. They didn't have an arrest warrant. And when he was picked up and taken to jail, to uh, you know, in, into custody, the session court actually ruled that the raid was illegal. So, you know, journalists are being intimidated by all these institutions. Um, and the, the law that is being used, it's very loose, it's very vague. When you talk about the security of Pakistan, yes. what does it mean? For I think, example, I think in a nutshell, in a nutshell, yeah. what's, what we're saying is that the government really picks and chooses who they want to promote and who they don't. And the laws are, are applied whichever way they wish them to, and, without and, being and applied it. uniformly. Oh, and, yes, and, and, and how has contextualized is basically the laws are there just to be bended and molded according to the whims of people who are in power, which is the establishment and... And the, the ruling party. Which, which is the establishment. Great. And, uh, and, and also, well, I mean, I interviewed the Taliban for my TV talk show. And when we tried to air that TV talk show, we told that we were in violation of uh, um, what they call national security. But at the same time, the state was talking to the Afghan Taliban and they were giving press releases. They were issuing press releases, which we were carrying. So I think that they want to also control the narrative on terrorism. Very much so. And they do not want independent journalists to have an independent investigation into what's really happening to the biggest story here in South Asia, which is, which is uh, security and which is terrorism. So that's really, really interesting. Uh, Munize and Sulema, you guys also every year do this, this, this international conference where you invite like lawyers and human rights advocates from all over the world trying to find a way to move the needle on, on protecting human rights in Pakistan. So, But I believe that your, your conference was also just shut down by the government in terms of the technology, the internet shut down. And Avashrif could not speak. Could you tell, tell me something about this? And um, what impact it had? 
Well, this was uh, uh, last year in November when we had our uh, annual conference. Um, I mean, usually we have about, it's a large conference. So we have something like, you know, 2,000 people attending every day. And we had 160 speakers over the space of two days. Uh, and um, so there were a lot of, you know, people, judges, et cetera, there. Uh, at the end of the conference, which is the, the second day, we have the closing ceremony, which is we usually uh, invite the opposition political party leader. And this year, uh, last year, we invited the thrice, uh, former thrice-elected Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. And um, before he was due to address the, the, the audience, uh, the the internet uh, the Wi-Fi died uh, in the in the in the marquee where we were have, conducting the closing ceremony, and um, uh, after that uh, we had we thought that this may happen, knowing the government's sort of record of clamping down on free speech to this extent. Uh, we had then um, sort of set up internet cables as a backup. But uh, they realized that we had internet cables as the backup. So they actually, so we started uh, the address. So he started his uh, closing address, uh, about, uh, you know, former Prime Minister Nawaz Sharif. And it, after about five or six minutes, that shut down as well, because apparently they had gone to the internet cable operator and uh, told them to disable the line. So the internet cable operators were calling us on the phone and saying, what can we do? They have come here and they are come this is security personnel. So it, it just shows you that how petty they are. I mean, the pettiness of a state, you know, you're a country of 230 million people with serious issues of poverty, hunger, malnutrition, no schools. And you are talking about a private event in, in a city of lawyers and you are more concerned about disabling the internet cables at that event. Uh, where no law is being broken. It, I mean, it's a, it's an event of lawyers. How can you break laws? We are all officers of the court. The event is, has, you know, senior judges of the Supreme Court there, including the chief justice who attended the first day. So it just, it just shows you how petty the Pakistani state is. And uh, that is what came out of it. Um, Ulema, and, just and, one second. I wouldn't call this petty. I would call this Gestapo style, Godfather style. Petty is too mild a word to use for them. They all the efforts that you and Manize do in organizing this, these efforts, when, and you you always tell me how much work goes into it. Because the technology was down and Navashrif could not deliver, so a lot of things and messages about awareness got lost in translation. So no matter but, how much you and Manize tried, did you guys feel? Yes, we, we got it fixed though. So what we did is we had called him on telephone, like a landline, and we had him address, the, they couldn't see his face, but we had, he could still deliver a speech uh, on a landline because we called from a, mob, uh, um, a landline to a landline and you put it on. A, so the point is that they're also quite stupid because it became headline <laughs> of every newspaper, every media, uh, you know, like, said, oh, the state has disrupted this conference. And, you know, where you are a citizen of such a poor country where you don't have school, you don't have water, you don't have food, do you think that this is what your state should be involved in? That's why I call it petty. I call it misguided. I call it extremely ridiculous, actually. That when there are serious issues, why are you worried about an event like that? And the prime minister kept on speaking about it, even personally, for about weeks after the event had happened, that, oh, why did they invite someone? I mean, why would he bother who invites anyone to a private event? Do you see? Yeah. So, Salama, that's really interesting. Uh, but what actions do you think that human rights advocates can take to ensure that the use of or misuse of technology or media does not exacerbate the situation or, or bring in inequality for those who are already marginalized and in need for some protection? Well, I mean, this is something that I think you have to look at it in two ways. One is the broader perspective, which is, for example, in Pakistan, not everyone has the same access. Uh, mm -hmm. And that is true the world over. Of course, you know, there is a, people, there's an affordability issue for people, you know, how um, there is a language issue. But in Pakistan, especially, it is exacerbated because, it, it for example, in a lot, uh, there's no internet coverage in several tracks, large tracks of Pakistan. Uh, you know, a lot of the mobile mobile companies and internet providers are privatized, and which means that a lot of Pakistan in some areas there is, there is no good internet coverage. Um, a lot of the, for example, the mobile phones, etc., they are pay-as-you-go pay phones in Pakistan because people are quite poor. And so there's an affordability issue. Um, language, 
you know, I was surprised that when I was looking it up, there are 80 languages in Pakistan, 70 to 80 languages spoken. But what do we yeah. see on, on social media? We see English or Urdu. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people in, in marginalized areas are excluded automatically. And yeah. more so women, because women are the ones who are sort of have less access to education, less access to money, less access to phone. Um, and then, of course, we have the state which has deliberately kept large parts of Pakistan out of internet coverage because they say they cite security concerns. So a lot lot of grievances that people have, for example, in the former tribal areas, they they say, well, you know, we don't have internet access. And when everything was locked down because of COVID, they couldn't do online lessons, for example, because they didn't have internet access. So there is that inequality which is exacerbated because Pakistan is a national security state where they cite security for all kinds of inequalities. And then, of course, you know, there is the other issue, which we've already discussed at length, uh, which is, uh, you know, how the state has has excluded a lot of narrative, political narratives. It has controlled media houses. It has controlled social media. It has thrown away um, a lot of dissent and through fear or through imprisonment or through actually beating people up or shooting or killing them. Um, the other thing I think that we haven't discussed a little bit, which I think is quite frightening now, is that, the uh, you know, I mean, freedom of expression is also said that there is the exception that you can't say anything about against the glory of Islam. And of course, in Pakistan, no one could say anything in any case, because, you know, it's a it's a very religious nation. Um, I mean, generally, people are quite religious and, you know, there's hardly any uh, religious minorities. But yet we see every second week and a story of people being lynched to death because they said something which people have construed as blasphemy. So that is another climate of fear that they have spread. And the Pakistani state has used that time and again to crack down on any political opposition by then saying, oh, well, they said something against Islam. And then that that just opens the floodgates and you forget about any freedom of expression. It is It is like the sword that hangs over everyone's head because they just misconstrue and say whatever they wish. And then that's, I mean, you know, you have a, a lot, lots of people have been extrajudicially murdered like this by huge mobs. Um, so that is very frightening also. Well, I'm also Pakistan doesn't, I don't see Pakistan becoming a secular country in the near future. So we're going to be stuck with this, unfortunately. It's, I think Islam is used in some ways which it, it was never meant to be used to discriminate, whether it's the Sri Lankan or just the Christians or whatever. It's very sad. Taking another point, I was just thinking, um, uh, I think I would be very curious to know what you and Moniza think. So recently, in the recent years, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, suddenly there's so much accessibility in Pakistan, especially to the men and even, even more to the women. How does this help or how does it worsen the misogyny and the gender bias? And, you know, recently we've been seeing videos of these naked women who are beating themselves up and then it goes viral. It it was never this viral overload before. But how do you think accessibility of these apps have making the situation worse? Well, I think that it's a double-edged sword, but I definitely think that what social media has done, it has democratized uh, media. And while the mainstream media still is dominated by men, by right-wing elements and uh, uh, by more conservative uh, people, the social media is now become more and more a voice of the left-wing in in Pakistan because the left-wing doesn't really exist on national television. There are one or two exceptions, but that's it. But... Let's look at the Aurat March, for example. The Aurat March actually galvanized support and became what it did through the social media. Now, what the Aurat March really for the viewers to like the people who are listening in to understand is basically is this march that is done on International Women's Day where all the women in Pakistan come out and they talk about issues that are related to women, especially violence against women. And in the last few years, it has been huge. Scores of women from across Pakistan have come out on the streets and talked about various issues from sexual taboos, etc., etc. And that has received a lot of condemnation from the right wing, from right wing elements in Pakistan. In fact, 
just recently one of the federal ministers wrote to the prime minister saying that the aurat march should be officially banned in pakistan because yes. it's now up in march so there is an incredible resistance to the aurat march from within the government from within the state and by the uh, military mullah alliance by the by the religious fanatics in pakistan they have even said that we are going to throw acid on the organizers of the aurat march etc but where it has found its feet and it, and 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 room to organize is really the social media similarly with the students march for the first time in pakistan we have seen in over 100 cities student marching for their rights because in pakistan to this day it's such a politicized society and we are there so many of us who are young i mean most of our population is under 30 but student unions in pakistan remain banned there has been a ban that was placed under general zia ul haq who was a dictator of pakistan in the 80s um and it it remains in the late 70s and the 80s and it remains and so students have consistently protested in the last few years and and found their voice through the social media and in fact when when it became so big and it became so big on social media the mainstream media had no choice but to pick it up and in this case in the case of student unions just recently the sin government has lifted the ban on student unions so it remains the first province to do that and all the credit actually goes to the students of course but also to the social media so i think there it has been uh, social media has uh, given rights to people it has democratized people it has given a voice to the victim it has given the other side of the story and you know in this social media content is king so if you have captured the imagination the attention of of the nation you become a story and uh, i think for pakistan i'm so glad that it is there i think maryam that social media is go, is 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 double edged sword as burise said and on the flip side you do see that it does exacerbate um you know inequalities as well because as i said you know there are large tracts of people who and especially the more vulnerable people who are excluded from the social media i mean you yeah. assume that people are equal they have the same level of education they have the same level of language and access to be able to have that kind of engagement with social media and a lot of people are not in pa- in fact pakistan is an extremely unequal society so um you do see for example women who are not in the mainstream would would not have the same um engagement with social media but yes it is an alternative because since the mainstream media is so controlled by the state and state um, you know actors and uh, commercial interests which are aligned with the state that the social media is the only way of sort of getting the alternative viewpoints across that maybe doesn't even suit the state and which perhaps ref- reflect the you know a, a more diverse society and what it really is on the ground yeah that's true but the- I absolutely agree social media plays a quintessentially very important role in raising awareness and ensuring people are kept in the loop but also some marginalized people like women being blackmailed and the videos being made and there's so many cases in Pakistan which is so sad like even that story we were discussing Sulaima a month ago on Twitter you said Maryam it makes me sick it was so horrible about women and being everybody shared it and they were having conversations that the woman is naked and she's beating herself up It, is it we have a social responsibility of not sharing that tweets and everything so it 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 raises a lot of the whole pandora's box of questions but so i i absolutely i think there is also a very misogynist element in pakistan that is also yeah. sort of um uh, it's it's actually given encouragement through through the state and a, a lot of political um a lot of sort of right wing uh, elements within pakistan where degrading women is something that people enjoy and they enjoy it on social media or they enjoy it on mainstream tv channels for example in pakistan they once shut youtube down for a long long time because they said somebody had said something against islam somewhere in the world so all of youtube was shut down um if something is said against um uh you know for example um the saudi prince they uh, they shut yes. down twitter um they if something is said against the military particularly they are either attacked or they are th- thrown off um it's so but where women naked photographs of women where women are humiliated and mm-hmm. these are poor women usually or women that they wish to attack where that is done and if you look at the trolling that goes on there are by 
usually the power the government which is in power so they they are part activists of the of the party that is in rule the ruling party so yes. you know this is i mean where you think of glory of islam is that is that something religious to sort of to uh, degrade a woman or is i mean i mean they talk about moral and they are sort of the moral police on everything else but where exploiting women is concerned there everything is off they will be happy to share naked pictures they will be happy to malign a woman you know for their public morality or public order glory of islam those exceptions don't come in there so i think that is the double face of the state and in actually making women more vulnerable in that in that way so i'm um, ex- sorry munisa you want to add something yes i do actually i think there's one other thing that i should also point out i mean you know with trolling we as women journalists we've all had that and in fact um all the women journalists of pakistan got together and they wrote to um uh, they wrote to the government and said you know you have to stop the trolling against us and the sexual slurs against us and that issue was taken up by the human rights committee in the national assembly um and that did they did stop for a while it did work because all eyes were on on you know on the government now harassing women journalists especially but having said that there are other so many communities that have benefited and that have organized themselves around the social media one of them is the pakistan tahaffuz movement this is a movement in the former pata areas which is bordering afghan the pakistan area bordering afghanistan where the taliban have really uh, had safe havens and from there a movement has risen of middle class men and women talking about peace and wanting peace in pakistan you know an end to violence in pakistan more rights for themselves right to access to justice etc etc they have been banned totally from the mainstream media and the only place where they exist where they are seen where they are i mean it's they rely totally on the social media to deliver their message they are a political um, uh, you know a, a political organization now similarly with enforced disappearances all cases of enforced disappearances you cannot talk on the national media anymore there's an un uh, unsaid kind of a ban there and so it, it, it's all discussed on the social media so i think in pakistan that is why the state is now trying to find ways to clamp down on social media and that is why the pika law was also brought about it was called the protection uh, electronic uh, prevention of electronic crimes act and it was actually brought in under uh, nawaz sharif's government and the minister at the time was a woman and a whole delegation of uh, of human rights activists went to her and said this law is going to be misused against human rights activists and against journalists which it was with in cases of sedition and she said no this law is made for women who are being trolled on social media and do you know that women who are being trolled on social media the sexual slurs they have all complained to the federal investigation agency and there remains only two federal investigation agency officers who can investigate thousands of these cases so the point is that yes they made it to protect women they did not make the they didn't install the implement the instruments that would actually help women but instead this law was used to Uh, subjugate uh, human rights activists and and, and journalists so yeah, very interesting that's amazing thank you so much so i'm going to wrap up this episode but i'm going to ask sulaima and munize just a last question each so you've given us so much information about repression and the lack of freedom of uh, freedom of ex- uh, expression and the gendered society and the role of the army and so much it's like sounds to me like more like a gestapo state now in pakistan i'm not coming back <laughs> but can but can i so i actually would in terms of a solution focused approach because sulaima talked about how the religion is there and i told sulaima it's going to stay a religious state it's not going to change so sulaima can i start with you in your in your in your expertise because you work as a legal expert and you, you the gendered institutions that we have in pakistan and the control that we have in pakistan if you were to move on the needle of carrying the legacy of your mother in ensuring human rights violations are not made what would you want to share with your audience in, in terms of individual social responsibility whether it's not sharing a tweet in which there are women who are exposed or do we need a source a joint social responsibility what can we do to move the needle on pakistan there has to be a solution right yes 
Yes, Maryam, I absolutely. But it's just, it, there's such a plethora of issues in Pakistan. I mean, in terms of South Asia, if you look at Pakistan, I mean, we are seeing India now also going through a lot of, um, you know, repression uh, in terms of freedom of expression, etc. But in Pakistan, what is happening is that in South Asia, uh, you know, apart from Afghanistan, which has just seen war, we are, we are really, really lagged behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is because Pakistan has always been a national security state. And I think that is the ultimate issue with Pakistan. And where you have a state which is made on the basis of national security as opposed to welfare, that, that you, you you continue to have a lot of inequalities and especially um, uh, against the more vulnerable uh, citizens, be it women, girls, you know, uh, religious minorities, people from mm-hmm. ethnic minorities. And that is, I think, where a sort of individual responsibility lies is that you understand and you appreciate that uh, Pakistan what the the segment in Lahore, for example, is not what is Pakistan. What really you have to appreciate the inequalities in Pakistan to understand, um, you know, where you need to help more. And I think that is what my mother's legacy was, that she um, really stood up for the most vulnerable people um, in Pakistan, be it women or religious minorities and children. And that is, I think, as a responsibility for our citizens. I mean, a lot of citizens in Pakistan, you know, of a certain class privilege or a certain, you know, majority ethnic background, they they do not, they have to understand that the way their rights are, it, it's not, you know, the, the way they can access, have access to things. People, you know, they take a lot of things for granted. You can't take that for granted. You have to make exceptions for uh, vulnerable people. And I think have do a lot more for them in terms of legal aid work or um, speaking up for them or whatever field you are in. And each one of us can make a difference. It doesn't. We don't have to wait for something big to happen. All of us have an individual yes, responsibility. Yes, I think we have an individual responsibility. But I think one has to be strategic in the sense that where you are collected, where you know, for example, where journalists collect get together. Under their in, under their union, and they ask, and there is a collective power there, mm-hmm. and that is where you can begin to see the government has to make concessions. There has to be some change. So Monize got on got together, and she tried to fight for uh, the anchor Hamid Meer. Nothing happened. <laughs> she tried. Actually, no, there, there, been, a lot happened. Very successful, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, a lot happened. I think a lot of journalists. You say collective action really matters. So basically, I think I think collective action. I mean, lawyers are collective uh, under their bar councils. I think journalists with their union. I think when you have when you when you when you strategize and you collect together, I think your voice has greater power. Your ability to negotiate is a lot more. Excellent point. So everybody. I, I I entirely huh? agree. I'll give you examples. You're saying we haven't, we've been hugely successful. I'll tell you last year, the government was going to slap this Pakistan media development authority on us where they were going to bring all, and they were going to have tribunals. They were going to slap fines on us. There was all kinds of mayhem being planned, which was really subjugation of the press. Everybody rejected it. Um, we led a three day long sit in outside the national assembly to oppose this act. And the government had to shelve it. They could not go through with it. So I think not only the the media, the the lawyers were a big part of it. They came with us and and they they helped us. Similarly, the unions, the journalist unions have worked on a recent uh, law that has been passed, a bill that has been passed, which is called the Journalist Protection Bill, which has given us more rights as journalists. And we we relentlessly campaigned with, uh, uh, you know, policymakers in National Assembly and on the streets. Uh, similarly, in look at 77, 78, where uh, there was the banning of Masawat newspaper, which was a left-wing Sindhi newspaper. And once Ziaul Haq did that, it opened the floodgates and there was a massive uh, 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 protest against a censorship, um, you know, in which many journalists, where you see yeah. journalists flogged, many of them were taken into custody and flogged. One of them is now um, uh, the Secretary General of the Pakistan Federal Union of Journalists today. So I think that there has been a story of resistance of Pakistan, which gets completely overlooked. And I think my mother, in many ways, was one of the most prominent faces of that resistance. Of course, the most. Not one of the most. Yes. 
so i think that that side of pakistan where middle class where young people where professionals journalists lawyers um activists have resisted in in such a way i have not seen it i have i have reported out of other countries like india and bangladesh and afghanistan and the and and the way the civil society has survived dictatorship in pakistan and the onslaught of dictatorial attitudes it is amazing it really is um you know um as they say a krishma um so i lies are forming yeah yes so so i think we have to look at look at the women women are out on the street students are out on the street journalists are out on the street lawyers are out on the streets what else is is this not a living society then what is so i think despite the bans on us despite us going to jail despite the shrinking civil space despite america coming in with many dollars for our dictators the civil society has really survived and it has and flourished society. recently flourished yeah so i no, monize uh, because your your whole analysis and sonama's analysis about about the lack of all of the freedom but the, your message that you guys are giving to the audience that it, the hope is not lost you saying collective action get together get your voice heard heard use social media even though it could be regressive but it also has exponentially affirmative um uh, uses so this is a fabulous message for the audience is there any other message you want them to have before we wrap up this one is a big one by the way yes i mean with social media i know there's a lot of criticism and they say many things but i would rather have social media than not have it i mean i myself have been told sexual slur so many times i would have that any day but i would not want social media to be further um you know um uh, clamped down or censored i i definitely am against that yeah because it also really connects all over the world with any small abuse that has reported in some small village it can just become big and there can be a huge outcry against it. i absolutely agree thank you collective action it is is there is going to be another episode just on collective uh, action i have absolutely loved talking to both of you passionate feisty young educated women who are moving the needle on pakistan we are very proud of both of you keep up the good work and guys this is declarations from the university of cambridge center of governance human rights i am mayam tanveer bye bye <laughs>